realizing that every time I open my eyes that uh, you're still here. (laughs) Anyone suffered yet? That's not our intention, but there's either two options. I was thinking about this. Either you like to suffer and that's why you're still here. Or you maybe now begin to realize that this is one of the most kind and compassionate things that we can do is to be with our experience. And it's not that we're here in order to manifest suffering, manifest this sense of stress or dissatisfaction or things are not going quite the way I would have it if I were in control of this crazy world. I might design it just a little bit differently. I don't know what your creative mind would do, but I would definitely organize the nature of things a little bit differently to lessen this, uh, you know, what we carry, this sense of struggle with experience. It's amazing how ordinary this word dukkha really really is. It's, it's so ordinary. It doesn't take a lot of uh, imagination or effort to bump into a sense of stress, a sense of struggle, of uncertainty, of confusion. The impact that the world has on us because we're so sensitive, it's felt. And we either can begin to really realize this for ourselves, the truth of this, or we can continue doing everything in our means to avoid this reality. And that's generally what we do when we don't know another way. In a way it's very poignant, it's beautiful. That it's described in the in the Buddhist the Buddha's teachings that all beings everywhere are moving, struggling, or running towards trying to be happy, and yet without knowing the true causes, beings tend to run in the opposite direction. That's us. And we run or walk in ways that are kind of just trying to skip through this moment. So I don't have to feel vulnerable, feel the impingement of anxiety, of nervousness, of self-doubt, the inner critic. You know, in some ways it's like this world on one level could be seen as a setup for us to really suffer, you know, and it's not the case. It's not that it's being set up that way, but because conditions are such that we come into a world 
that is changing, that's not in our control. And then it's filled with beings that have confusion, have ignorance, are filled, of course, with their own greed and hatred, and it manifests in all the ways, in big ways, in our society, we still have a very damaging impact of racism. It's ongoing. You know, and, uh, we can go unconscious because we're white and not waking up to impact on that level. It's a very big scale down to the ordinary scale of just being sensitive in this body, having a body that feels, having a heart that is impacted so easily by a glance, by an inner comment, one little inner comment. And for me, it's amazing now that I'm offering words in public, which is really not um, what my system came into the world dying to do. I wasn't like running up to the stage and like, look at me, everyone. Like, I love to be looked at and, you know, have my words really deeply listened to. It's like, I would prefer to just mumble my way kind of quietly somewhere. Um, You know, we don't go into the Dharma. None of us, really not one being that I've ever known goes into the Dharma um, to end up, you know, talking to groups and maybe it might be one's conditioning, but it's not where I thought I would end up. It's funny, the nature of my mind is, if I go on a tangent, it seems to totally let go of everything that I was previously saying. So bear with that reality. And and part of what it is that I uh, am exploring in my own development in in the Dharma is is really to uh, trust that this is good enough. How I am is good enough. You know, and this, the tendency to try and get things right and to, to be otherwise. Even that sense of belonging. Am I worthy enough to exist? You know, we're already here. We're born. Right? Each of us are born. I hope you agree with that statement. <laughs> and we're here. And none of us asked. At least, I don't have the memory of having asked to be here. Maybe that's, you know, by theory, you know, if there's these past lives, our karma, you know, because it's not freed up, who knows, our consciousness maybe returns. I don't know about that. But as far as I'm aware, I didn't ask. And yet, here I am, born. And then it's so easy to come to the conclusion that I'm not worthy to be here. I don't deserve to be exactly what's manifesting in this moment. It's not good enough. Where do we come up with that view? How does that happen? And there's so many ways, I think, when we start looking carefully why that comes about. The sense of self-worth or opinions of society, legacy of culture, the systems that we're born into, family structures, values, 
And it's said that in, in communities of the Dharma, um, and really this is more in Asian communities where people are born into a culture of the Dharma, that this question of self-worth is um, handled a little bit differently because the basic understanding is that the preciousness of being born as a human being is so rare that that already is an incredible gift because it comes with the innate possibility of freedom. We have this potential to purify, develop our mind and heart, and come to know a peace of mind, a wisdom that is truly independent of conditions. A love that doesn't have boundaries, compassion and patience that can endure all the conditions that we come into contact with. And it's just amazing to think that's actually possible. It's not like some pipe dream. It's just a matter of willingness to turn in that direction. And the more that we practice something, as we know, the better we get at it. And the less we practice something, we go in the opposite direction. I used to, when I came back from a uh, couple years that I was in the monastery in Burma, I thought that the, the wisdom that my mind was you know, experiencing the moment with, I thought, oh, this is great. This is, I like this, this kind of clarity, seeing conditions as they are. I thought, oh, this is permanent, this wisdom, this ability to see how I get caught and, and letting that go. It was amazing just to watch every now and again the wisdom getting weaker and the tendency of the mind to get caught in conditions. And I had been uh, checking in with um, one of the teachers locally saying how amazing it was that when I was practicing that I could actually see some understanding was growing. The wisdom was getting stronger. And then he asked me, well, what's the corollary to that? And he said, well, when you don't practice, your wisdom's going to get weaker. I was like, yeah, that's true. Not all that, that's all that's happening. And you might not even notice it, but, you know, even in the hours that we're here, the various things that are being reported in groups. You know, it feels like, God, I'm seeing what a chaotic mess I am. And it oftentimes looks like it's like a disaster zone. You know, how would this come about? Where did this disaster really arise from? And the thing is, it's, that is really part of what we're seeing. And this is, there's so much that starts to be seen on retreat, through moments of collectedness, of paying attention, that is building some understanding. Our wisdom is growing. There's something that is beginning to change.
most of what we talk about in terms of effort. It's one of the five uh, faculties that I think Jaya mentioned last night or this morning. It's one of the qualities that we practice with. So there's, just to name them quickly again, is confidence, some sense of this this makes sense, or I, I have a sense of this is effective, it's worth doing. Effort, energy, that quality that brings our willingness to notice what's happening, any, any form of effort or energy. Then mindfulness, right, paying attention. Stability of mind, which resi- arises through moments of paying attention and through not reacting to everything that arises through this sense of allowing, can I be with this experience? And then the fifth factor is wisdom. To whatever degree that is brought into the practice, right view, that what we're looking at is nature. So those are, those are the aspects, when we say I am practicing, those are the functions that are practicing. This is a moment where my tangent actually remembered where I was, so effort. Um, you know, when we talk about effort, it's, it is the place that is the slipperiest slope of how do I practice with effort? What am I really doing? The effort that I really like to reflect on, it is really much more about the perseverance. You know, if we could with one fell swoop look into the nature of the mind and heart and see suffering and its causes and let it go, wow, that would be terrific. And there are moments when the mind gets enough steadiness, some deep insight can arise and we see some place that we were stuck and, and clinging to. But for the most part, a lot of the understanding happens in very subtle ways. And a lot of the understanding is really a matter of showing up and being present and being willing to meet what's this next moment and this moment. What else can I notice? What else is happening? What's real for me? What am I avoiding looking at? And just that steadiness will take us all along the path. And a a phrase from one of the um, monks who's done a lot of the translating and teaching in the West, Bhikkhu Bodhi, says something to the effect of, in order to realize the deepest truths in the Dharma, requires just two things. And that's to begin and to not stop. So that's, really that's effort. The willingness to be with our experience. And it's just so easy to try and do more than that. You know, it's, this is where kind of noticing what it is, what is, what is my motivation in looking in, at my experience at the, at the, at the moment and when we've been talking about at the attitude of the mind, that's really where we're pointing to, is are there factors of mind that are actually habits that are showing up in the practice? Habits of wanting, habits of judging, habits of trying to get rid of. And that is, these are totally natural 
and they are going to show up. And our job is to begin to learn about these habits that are functioning in the basic way that we live our life. Of course, they're going to show up when we try and be mindful. And our process of really looking at our experience is it's using objects like the breath and the body and emotions as a place to wake the mind up to be mindful and to see these habitual patterns arise. So the fact that so many people are reporting, you know, these various things of difficulty and craving and aversion and the the inner critic, and it's actually great practice. It's good news. It's good news. The one, there is a teacher that says that pretty much everything that we discover about ourselves is bad news in the sense of if we hadn't seen it and been really proud of it yet, it's pretty much a reason, you know, there's a reason why I've not been looking there. But it's, it's bad news because we don't like it, but these are just habits, right? And this, that I'm using this word habits and nature to really try to strengthen that view, that reminder that that's all that it is. These are habits of mind, ways of being that for some reason, you know, one way or another, they may have served at some point, but they don't necessarily serve the deeper possibility of freeing ourselves, freeing the mind, being able to be with whatever it is that's arising. It's a, it's a gift to speak a day or two into a retreat. Just the faces get so much softer. And it's just so lovely to see that softness, you know, coming through. And it's amazing. The, the miracle of mindfulness, extraordinary that it's becoming so established. And talking about the 40th anniversary of IMS and this, you know, this room that's holding us. I was thinking about the nature of a a caterpillar and the cocoon that it creates, you know, seeing a lot of yogis wrapping themselves up in blankets and it's like we're cocooning ourselves. It's quite astonishing to think of the transformation that a caterpillar goes through. And even though I knew that a caterpillar goes, you know, well, it sits there and then it weaves a cocoon around itself and then a butterfly emerges, I hadn't really known about the process of what the heck goes on inside the cocoon. And hearing about, you know, a caterpillar, when it wraps itself if there's any biologists, forgive the, the general, you know, generality of this. But anyway, so cocoon, you know, the, the caterpillar wraps itself in the cocoon and then something, something happens. And so <laughs> I think enzymes are released and the, and the, the body gets, the, the body of the caterpillar gets pretty much dissolved into a soup except for some key cells. 
turns into a liquid that then totally reorganizes into another form. It's amazing to go from a form into this other form and it gets reorganized. And then out comes this, what we think of as a very beautiful, you know, caterpillar or uh, butterfly wings that can take flight. Anyways, just the analogy is like, yeah, this is, this is what we're partly doing. You know, wrapping ourselves in mindfulness. You know, this kind attention that receives experience. Dropping in wise reflections, reminders of what it is we're watching, what's the right way to watch, what's supportive to watch this experience. And then at the end of the retreat, we all turn into butterflies (laughs) and we fly off (laughs) happily ever after. (laughs) We continue to practice, right? And, but there is a transformation. There is the development. We see more clearly the mindfulness gets more familiar. We visit the territory of the mind. We visit the territory of the different mental states of sleepiness, we see that it's natural. Of doubt, you can understand the nature of doubt and confusion, the uncertainty of the practice or the rushing, the leaning in, wanting something to happen. Oh right, that's simply wanting. These are universal forces. And if you think you've found a unique one that you alone are experiencing, I would love to hear and we will be doing a Q&A later on. So if, if you think you found a unique mind state that is truly belongs to you, then we'll talk about it at, at the, the Q&A later on. So this is universal, right? And these reminders of nature Again, it's, you know, it's interesting just to think about how is it that if the reality is such that we are the way we are, just as we are, with eyes, with ears, so with sight, with hearing, with feelings, with emotions, various conditions that we live with, So if all of that is truly nature, how is it that we come about to take everything so personally? And yet every being does this. This is how universal it is. And for 2,600 years, basically, these teachings have been operable. And those individuals who have committed themselves to looking into the nature of of their own experience, to really look deeply and see how is this own mind and heart in response to the circumstances I find myself, how is it contributing to my own suffering? Not that the world isn't screwed up, but how is how I'm relating? What can I do to free myself? And those that have taken on this journey 
find that it's a path that works. Suffering increasingly can be resolved. And what it does is it allows the heart and mind to become very available to do as much skill in this world during our lifetime, skillful action, skillful response, to end the, you know, the turmoil and the, the suffering, the, the struggle and strife of beings in, you know, that we're, it's part of our greater community. It really frees us up from that. And I've oftentimes thought about the, the nature of, um, you know, when a star gets so massive, it collapses in on itself, the, a black hole. And what it does is it, the gravity is so strong that light can't go out. It sucks everything in. I was thinking, yeah, the sense of self is so strong. All the attention, just everything becomes about me. You know, everything, every reference point. I mean, just a very funny thing was that when I was coming up to sit up here, and I'd been wearing a hat, you know, ski hat before coming in here and because I was outside. Oh, I forgot to look at my hair to see, like, you know, if it's like sticking up like here and there. And I was like, oh, I wonder, like, is my hair okay? <laughs> I was like, everyone's going to be looking at me. It's like, is it in place? You know, it's like the amazing self-reference, you know, that's like, God, that's a burden to have to walk around with one's hair in place. You know, and that's like, the least of sufferings that we're going to go through and having to just keep the hair so it doesn't, you know, somehow make people think poorly of us. It's like, <laughs> is my hair in place? Oh, it's just hair. I'm going to make it messy for a moment just to realize, yeah. You do, you know. So, someone was mentioning, talking about in the group, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, they were finding themselves swallowing. And I went through a process in my, one of my retreats where I couldn't stop swallowing. You know, I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm making so much noise, I'm swallowing. <laughs> you know, it's so much tension around what obviously is just a function. You know, there's something going on, it's just nature. But because I didn't have that wisdom to just let myself, you know, naturally be there with whatever was going on, I was creating an enormous storm in my experience around swallowing. So if swallowing is going to cause suffering, right, and we don't know that what's going on in terms of that particular experience, imagine how much suffering that we're set up for when we meet this world, you know. And this is the gift when we pay attention and we begin to understand what's happening. It's like, oh, I figured out that level, right? Okay, so my, my first lessons were how not to suffer around swallowing. And I did it. I managed to recognize, okay, it actually is okay to swallow. And it's not my job to take care of the sounds that arise if someone else is going to be aversive, that's the nature of their mind. And that was a big insight. Their aversion belongs to them. This swallowing, just a process, and it's arising here. Right? So that's funny, right? But it's, it's like, this is how we understand things. I was, I was 
I actually don't use Facebook that much. It's true. I actually don't. Um, but I was looking at, at Facebook every, like once in a while, for some reason, something will spark and I go, oh, let me see what's, you know, what's there. And, and one of the nice things of being linked with other kind of sangha, you know, um, people like meditators is they post things sometimes that are relevant in the Dharma. And this was a little video of someone that was, you know, woke up in the morning and went outside and got in their car and just was on a journey from there to the coffee house and there and to work and just we were just following them and you know a little boy maybe passed by and interrupted his backing out of the car and he got angry and then something the person didn't open the door for him or hold it open at the coffee shop and the frustration was building and then uh, someone cut in line at the coffee shop so some frustration there so this video is just going like that and then getting angry at anger at these various people and so this is Facebook, right? So it's just the context here. So he was given a pair of glasses that had the special vision. And the special vision was he could see what was going on for the other person. So then he backtracked, went back to the coffee house, saw the person that cut in front of him. And it said something like, losing my best friend, right? And then... Um, and just brings up sadness. Every person that he saw that had done something had their own story. And it was so, you know, again, it's so funny. It was like, this is a funny Facebook thing, but it was so touching because we don't see that. Right? We only see the surface. Thank you for letting me be a little teary. Hmm. You know, so we're a hundred people in here. We've all got our stories. We don't know really what's happening for someone else. We're in a world with beings that have their stories and they're acting out their, their karma, right? Their conditions. And the more that we wake up and we really start to see the nature of things, this understanding starts to develop. We're no longer just riding on the surface of life, we actually begin to really develop some understanding that begins to open the heart and mind to be able to be available for life. And there's nothing to do. In terms of our practice, it's very simple. Can I be present for this moment? Can I be present for this moment? And this moment. And allowing that natural energy to be there, allowing the lessons that we're learning in the Dharma to grow. And we get more skilled the more we're in the territory of the mind and heart, in the territory of relationship. 
the territory of systems of oppression, of privilege, we begin to see more. And in seeing more, we're freed. And we can act skillfully in response. Really, oftentimes I do say thank you for your practice. And there's other times when I really, really feel it. And yeah, I'm really feeling it right now, just the appreciation for your willingness to be with your experience, to be on a path that isn't easy, but it is so valuable. And it's so transformative. You know, it doesn't need to happen all at once, but even the willingness to be with the reality of experience, being honest, inwardly honest, and allowing that to simply present itself and that that we can listen and tune in. You know, I think I had picked up so many inadvertent lessons that it wasn't worth I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worth listening to, you know, somehow that message gets picked up. And so then I didn't realize the value of noticing what's happening and to being awake inside of it. This is the opportunity we have in this life is to be present for it. Awareness allows information to be gathered, data to be gathered, experiences to be seen. That collecting of information slowly transforms into more and more understanding, more and more wisdom. And it's a very simple step-by-step unfolding. Am I present enough to know something about my life, about how I'm speaking, how I'm acting, what my impact is, Am I conscious? Am I just kind of unconsciously following whatever is the easiest, you know, movement, which just keeps me hovering along until some tragedy happens and it wakes the mind up and it goes, oh God, life is passing and it's fragile and this is sensitive. And for the most part, we're not really tuned in enough, you know, and so often at the ending of life, I've, I've heard this so many times that suddenly there's this like, God, I want to really be here right now and be here with you. And it's like this urgency to really be present because then it's so clear that this life is passing. And it's, you know, it's an opportunity to live as fully awake, kind, wise, caring as we can. I'll pause here. So why don't we just take a minute to let the words fall away and
So may the beneficial intentions, wholesome actions here of your practice be a cause and a support for your well-being and may it contribute to the ending of suffering of all beings. May all beings be free. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.